Hi everyone, and welcome back to the 19th episode of the Let's Talk Law podcast with me, your host, Wendy. If you tuned in to last week's episode, then you would know that we tackle the topic of interracial marriage. This week we'll be talking about something a little different. There aren't really any amendments that we have to go over first, but there is some historical context that we should go over before kind of diving into this week's case. So, after World War I, America took extensive anti-German measures. Examples of these were restricting the performance of German music at symphony concerts and not allowing German-American civic association meetings. These anti-German feelings were also extended to resistance and opposition in general of quote-unquote non-American ideas and culture. However, the primary focus of state and local legislation were languages. This took form in many different ways. Some places required associations to be written only in English, and some towns entirely banned the use of the German language in their towns. State and local governments passed laws that prohibited people from speaking German in public and from teaching German and other foreign languages in schools, including religious instruction. On April 9, 1919, the state of Nebraska enacted the Simon Act, which restricted the study of foreign languages in Nebraska schools. It also prohibited teachers from speaking non-English languages in classrooms. One part of the act read, quote-unquote, No person, individually or as a teacher, shall in any private, denominational, parochial, or public school teach any subject to any person in any language other than the English language. With respect to foreign language education, it also prohibited instruction of children who had not yet completed 8th grade. However, this 1919 Simon Act was not strange or different. By 1919, other state and local governments also had enacted similar English-only laws. These laws were largely motivated by xenophobic ideas and fears of immigrants. Non-English-speaking people with different languages and cultures were seen as quote-unquote un-American and dangerous. Since that's all of the historical context slash background information that we need for this week's case, we can jump right into it. This week, we'll be talking about the Supreme Court case Meyer v. Nebraska. Robert T. Meyer was a Nebraska school teacher and instructor at the Zion Lutheran School, a one-room schoolhouse located in Hampton, Nebraska. On May 25, 1920, Meyer was teaching one of his students and had them read a Bible passage out loud in German. The student was a 10-year-old boy and 4th grader named Raymond Parfart. The Hamilton County attorney happened to enter the classroom when Parfart was reading aloud from the Bible in German. The Simon Act was enacted a year before, so the county attorney general charged Meyer with violating the act. Meyer pleaded not guilty to violating it, but was tried and convicted for his crime. The school teacher refused to pay the $25 fine, which would be around $320 now, 
imposed on him and appealed his conviction to the Nebraska Supreme Court. By a vote of 4-2, the court upheld his earlier sentence and the legality of the Simon Act. The majority of the Nebraska Supreme Court saw the law as a proper response to the quote-unquote baneful effects of allowing immigrants to have their children educated in languages other than English. The two dissenting judges called the Simon Act the work of quote-unquote crowd psychology, or essentially mob mentality. Unhappy with the decision of the state Supreme Court, Meyer appealed to the Supreme Court of the United States. Meyer was represented by Arthur Mullen, an Irish Catholic and a prominent Democrat who had previously failed to obtain an injunction against the enforcement of the Simon Act from the Nebraska Supreme Court. An injunction is a judicial order that restrains a person from beginning or continuing action that can threaten or infringe upon the legal rights of another. During the oral arguments, there were conflicting interpretations of the World War I experience. Mullen, Meyer's attorney, connected the Simon Act to quote-unquote hatred, national bigotry, and racial prejudice engendered by the World War. On the other hand, the state argued, quote-unquote, it is the ambition of the state to have its entire population 100% American, end quote. On June 4, 1923, the Supreme Court of the United States issued its decision. The vote was 7-2 in favor of Myers. This overturned Myers' conviction and declared the Simon Act as unconstitutional. The judges who decided on the case were Taft, McKenna, Holmes, Van Devanter, McReynolds, Brandeis, Sutherland, Butler, and Sanford. Justice McReynolds wrote and delivered the majority opinion for the court. The other judges in the majority were Taft, McKenna, Van Devanter, Brandeis, Butler, and Sanford. In the majority opinion, McReynolds wrote that liberty protected by the Due Process Clause also includes, quote-unquote, the right to engage in any sort of the common occupations of life, to acquire useful knowledge, to marry, establish a home, and bring up children, to worship God according to the dictates of his own conscience, and generally to enjoy those privileges long recognized at common law as essential to the orderly pursuit of happiness by free man, end quote. On this note, the court decided that, in the context of the liberty between the teacher and parents of a child, quote-unquote, Education of the young is only possible in schools conducted by especially qualified persons who devote themselves thereto. The calling always has been regarded as useful and honorable, essential indeed to the public welfare, end quote. McReynolds wrote that the mere knowledge of the German language could not reasonably be regarded as harmful. He wrote that Meyer had taught German in school as part of his job and that his right to teach and the right of parents to engage with him to instruct their children are within the liberty of the U.S. Constitution.
The court acknowledged that the original purpose of the Simon Act was to promote civic development by not allowing foreign languages to be taught before students could learn English and acquire American ideals, but also wrote that, quote-unquote, the individual has certain fundamental rights which must be respected. The protection of the Constitution extends to all, to those who speak other languages, as well as those born with English on the tongue, end quote. In the opinion, McReynolds went on to say that experience shows that proficiency in a foreign language is not harmful to the health, morals, or understanding of an ordinary child. The two dissenting judges, Holmes and Sutherland, had their opinion written by Justice Holmes. He wrote that they differed with the majority with some hesitation because they thought that the law did not impose unnecessary restrictions on teachers that were arbitrary and that it was limited in its application to children. Nonetheless, this decision struck down English-only laws that had taken over post-World War I state and local governments. If I had to give a quick summary of this case, then I would say there was a law that did not allow languages other than English to be taught to students who hadn't yet completed 8th grade. One teacher was charged with violating this act when he had a student read a passage in German out loud. The state Supreme Court upheld his conviction and the law, so the teacher appealed to the United States Supreme Court. There, the court sided with the teacher, saying that the teaching between teachers, students, and parents was a liberty protected by the Due Process Clause of the U.S. Constitution. This decision struck down the only English laws that took over state and local governments after World War I. I really like this case because it's another one of those things that you never hear or learn about. You might have spoken a different language growing up, or maybe you're learning one right now, but it's crazy to think how there were once laws that banned all of that from happening. Before I end off this week's episode, I do want to add in our little fact of the week. This time, it's from North Carolina. In this state, there are laws that limit how long you can play bingo. For certain places, bingo games can last only up to five hours. There's even a part in the state code that limits bingo sessions to two times a week. The maximum prize for bingo also cannot exceed $500. And so, that wraps up this week's episode. If you want to give me a suggestion or you like the episode, feel free to email me at letstalklawpodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at letstalklawpodcast. Remember to check back every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a new episode. Until then, bye!